welcome back to Covered in Glory. Brett must not have been a good boy last year because he asked for a new co-host, but joke's on him, I'm still here. I asked for one week without a devastating injury to Chelsea, and I got two, so I was naughty as well. But we are back, and we are so excited to be with you right ahead of New, Year new Year's Eve. We're going to do something a little bit different on this episode. We talked about it last week, but with so much uh, injuries and games getting canceled and moved around, we don't know what we're even talking about it anymore. Not that we ever did. So uh, instead of talking about the games one by one, we're going to do a special episode this week, or it's going to be a two-parter. We'll finish it next week. We, as part of your New Year's resolutions, are going to help you select a Premier League team to support. Um, Brett, I know you are an Everton fan. I am a Chelsea fan. How did you become an Everton fan? I'm not sure I've ever heard the full story. So my, and I guess my genesis for, to being an Everton fan is basically linked to the Oakland days. Um, so I don't know if I'm dating myself or seeming young to whoever's listening to us, but right when I was in, no one's listening, Brett. So go ahead. You don't seem young to anybody. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There's no relative if no one's listening. Um, I mean, maybe my parents might try to listen to this or something. Um, but no, I, like Michael Lewis's Moneyball came out right when I was in college. Um, you know, and obviously it was a, a pretty revolutionary book um, in terms of, you know, talking about what the Oakland A's were doing with Billy Bean. Um, and ever since then, I had like a huge like infatuation with the A's, with Billy Bean, with what they're doing and kind of, you know, turning baseball on its head in terms of, you know, finding these market edges. Um, and so when I started to get into soccer a few years later, um, David Moyes was at Everton and Everton had this reputation of, you know, kind of being this team that was, um, you know, chugging along on a shoestring budget, but keeping up with like the bigger clubs in the Premier League at the time. This is before the Premier League had like a shit ton of money and basically like was had become a super league in and of itself. Um, and so I, I just had a lot of respect for Moyes. He always would, you know, buy these guys with bargain values, you know, he'd sell sell a player for like three times more than what he bought him, then turn around and use that money to buy like two or three, you know, underpriced guys that would end up being like helpful contributors. And it was like this real, like smart kind of blue power thing. It kind of drew me to it like the A's. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I basically became an Everton fan kind of based off their manager and not so much like the appeal of their history, but just kind of how they were doing their business kind of in like the late aughts, early 2010s. Um, and that's, pretty much where I've been. And then I've been stuck with him for about the last five or six years. So yeah, just like A's fans, you're miserable. And I cannot wait to talk about Everton in this episode, because I know you have a few things to uh, dissuade people from following your path, which I can't Absolutely. wait to hear. Uh, for me, I, in college, I went to the university of Virginia. I was born in Washington, DC. Uh, I support all of the terrible local teams and then UVA, until Tony Bennett came along, wasn't in any great shakes either. Uh, I actually, in my fourth year of school, I went and studied in England. I went to the University of Bath School of Management. And uh, I was out drinking at a, a pub one night. And as always, as these conversations in England goes, it turned to soccer. And I was completely left out because I didn't have anything to contribute or a team to support. But the guys that I were out with, they kind of took pity on me and they tried to include me. So they said, you know, which club do you support? And I told them I didn't support one yet. And they're like, oh, well, you've got to pick by next week. So uh, I did all no research. And then they asked me again the next week when we were back at the pub. And I had just finished living in New York for the summer. Uh, and I had spent a lot of time in the neighborhood of Chelsea kind of drinking and, and hanging out. And I looked at their uniforms and I loved the color of blue. And I looked at the table and they were not at the top of the table at the time. This was 2001. So I felt okay in selecting them. 
and I got really lucky. So I ended up becoming a Chelsea fan in 2001, uh, two years before Abramovich bought the team and they kind of rocketed forward. So I feel like I got in at just under the radar of, uh, of being accused of being a bandwagon jumper, but still got on to one of the hottest bandwagon in sports. So that's my story. Neither of them are that great, but that just goes to prove you don't have a great need. You do not need to have a great reason to follow soccer. And we're going to give you plenty of not great reasons today. So this is going to work out awesome. Uh, if you want our picks for the weekend, we are going to do that at the end. So um, our great producer, Michael, will put something in the notes about what minute mark that's going to come at. But for the next 30 minutes or so, we are going to talk about the non-top six teams. Uh, so the rest of the teams throughout England, and we're not going to hit on all of them, but we're going to tell you the ones that we recommend that you at least give a look at to support. Before we do that, though, uh, let's talk about globally why you should become a soccer fan if you're not already. And Brett, I want to hear your reasons as well. I wrote a few down, took some notes. Well, before we do this, though, uh, I, you know, I, I hate to do this to you on the show, but, you know, you took down your vision board with Roman Abramovich's yacht on it. And I know that's your lifelong goal. So I just need you to add that to your origin story, because I know he didn't bought the team yet. But once he did, that became a huge life goal for you. So if you want to start a GoFundMe to, like, get a chance to fly oh. over to his yacht. Feel free. I think that now's the moment. Now that you've explained yourself, now's the moment to admit to that goal. Oh, yeah. Sales out, nails out, bro. <laughs> All right. Uh, besides trying to get on Roman's yacht, here are some great reasons to become a soccer fan. One, and this is this is I mean this uh, as deeply as I can. It feels like vacation if you've grown up as an American sports fan. Uh, you know, we're all stuck inside right now. You're not or not stuck inside. I'm sorry. We're not traveling as much. There's a lot of fear in the air. There's been a lot of restrictions the last few years. People have probably spent more time in their house than they wanted to. Uh, and this is a great way to satisfy some of that wanderlust and dip a toe in a completely different pool without leaving your couch. And it's awesome. It is awesome to transport yourself over to England, over to Italy, over to Spain or or Brazil or Argentina or wherever you want to watch a soccer game. I know we focus on the Premier League, but we watch soccer all over the world. And it's just a wonderful thing to do something different than the sports that you're watching typically every single day. It feels great. Uh, two, and this is a big one, no commercials, time limited, and the time windows are incredible. You get to drink and gamble in the morning and then have the whole afternoon free to do something way more productive, but slightly drunk. It's pretty fun. It's what West Coast fans have been bragging about with the NFL forever. Uh, third reason, the crowds, the passion, the singing, the history is completely addictive. The ambiance is incredible, even if it's just in the background to hear the supporters kind of all singing out their songs, they're varying their chants, hearing the roar of the crowd, hearing the accents of the announcers, all of it makes for an incredibly pleasing sensory experience. Um, four, this one's a little bit weird, but I, I definitely believe this as well. It's really fun to learn a new sport as an adult instead of as a kid. And so, like, I have three young kids right now, and I hear the questions that they're asking. And I remember asking my mom and dad the exact same questions. And when you learn something as a child, it's great because, you know, you have a very open mind and uh, everything's new to you and you're learning everything at once. And so, like, learning's really natural to you and it's a really cool experience. Doing it as a more jaded, sophisticated adult and going back to some of those childlike instincts is awesome. I highly recommend it if you don't uh, feel like you're, you know, you probably feel like you're an expert already in baseball, basketball, football, whatever you've been watching since you were five or six years old. You probably feel, you know, just as much as coaches and commentators and everybody else that are talking about it. 
it's great to go back to the basics and learn something from the ground up. So give it a shot. Uh, next, it's year round. Premier League season is nine months. The players that you root for, you're probably going to see on your national teams all summer. And the transfer process runs every day, 24-7, 365. Even if they can't finalize transfers, it's all anybody wants to talk about. And it's not like in American sports where you know players are like, oh, he's four or five years out. There's no way he's going to move. He's going to move. Soccer players are always talking to each other. They're always recruiting. They're always trying to create new teams and agents are always busy. And there's always a financial crisis that forces a fire sale from some team to get rid of some hot youngster. Um, it is really fun. If you like the chaos of the off season and the off field movement, then you've never experienced anything like soccer. And you get free. It's basically getting like free agency in NFL, NBA, MLB two, two times a year with two transfer windows. Yeah, and look, the transfer windows, I, I, I'm, I can't overemphasize this. The transfer windows are open in the summer and in January, but they are talked about all the time, all the time. Like newspapers got to stay alive somehow. Websites got to get clicked somehow. Every single day, like you'll still see Messi is about to move stories, even if they're fake, um, all the time. And so like it just never stops. And then the last thing I'll say, and then Brett, of course, I want to hear if you want to add anything in. Um, you get to pick a team without the bounds of family history or geography. You get to pick something that will make you happy or that is different from your current set of teams. And that's part of like getting into this as an adult. I have to root for the Washington football team because I rooted for them when I was five. I have to root for the Washington Wizards because I rooted for them when I was five. Uh, I don't know if this will be a breakout video, but if you can see me when I say that, I don't look happy about it. I'm not. <laughs> it sucks. It's a terrible thing to be born into horrible franchises and have to support them forever. But guess what, guys? Even if you're loyal, even if you feel that sense of dread every single time you have to watch your hometown team, you don't have a hometown soccer team in England. Pick whoever you want. It is great to have that freedom for once. Uh, so before I get into some of the tips that I have for you as you select a team, Brett, anything that kind of burns top of your mind of why you sh uh, people should get into soccer? I mean, I don't know. This might be the more nerdy answer, but, um, you know, soccer's got just so much more history than our sports leagues do um, in terms of the way that not only that they are rooted in their community all the way back, you know, it's like the late 1800s in some cases, but just in the way that they're tied to like geopolitical events. Um, so like the rivalry between like Barcelona and Madrid you know, has roots in the Spanish Civil War where like Franco, General Franco, who's the dictator of Spain at the time, like Madrid was like his team, you know, and, and Barcelona as part of the Catalan movement. So like there's really cool, like deep, rich history shit that goes on with that kind of stuff. And it's not like here where it's just like, oh, you know, the Cowboys and the Eagles played each other like pretty tough for like 20 years. You know, this is like rooted in really cool, deep stuff. Um, you know, there's crazy stories everywhere in terms of like, you know, the shit that goes on with like organized crime, like the Lazio Ultras in Italy, or um, how basically there's a team in the Champions League that's like in an unrecognized country that's sort of part of like Russia that's like a time kit. Grant Wall wrote a great piece about Sheriff, uh, I'm going to probably say this wrong, Sharif Tiraspol, which is like this unrecognized country that has a Champions League team that's basically like a gun running state. Um, you just don't get shit like that in U.S. sports. And it's it makes it really fun and interesting and, you know, kind of cool to talk about with people and, um, you know, fun to share and be a part of. It's just never boring, you know, whether it's yeah. stories about players or stories about the way that teams are shaping geo or part of geopolitical events or, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think it's great. 
Yeah, I mean, Didier Drogba caused a freaking ceasefire. Yeah. It was incredible. I mean, you just, you're right. Like, we see American players speak out on social issues, uh, especially more in the social media era, and it's extraordinarily laudable and commendable. Uh, but seeing it on the global scale and, and some of the large-scale international conflicts that have been influenced by soccer over the years is, is awe-inspiring. Uh, so it's certainly a great reason to, continue, to consider supporting the beautiful game. Uh, all right, so let's get to team selection. Uh, and Brett, I'm going to throw it back to you in just a minute, but here are some of the notes that I wrote down that we want you to think about as you're trying to figure out which team that you're going to select. And by the way, you've already heard our reasons. His was nerdy about something about analytics. Mine was getting <laughs> drunk in London and having to answer the question, what club you support. There's no bad reason. There's no good reason. Pick whoever the hell you want. But if you're lost in the dark and you're just looking for a flashlight, here's a couple of things that you might want to think about. Uh, one, are you sick of losing with the teams that you support right now? Pick one of the top teams. Enjoy the thrill of a championship chase. Live a little bit. Go out and pick a Manchester City or a Manchester United or a Chelsea or a Liverpool or a Tottenham or an Arsenal. Or if you want to not support the Premier League, uh, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich. Who cares? Judgment-free zone. Do what you want. Support a winning team if you've been losing all your life. I highly recommend it. Uh, on the flip side, you already cheer for juggernauts? Pick a team that's climbing. See what it feels like to start at the bottom or start at the middle and try to get to your top. If you're a Yankees or a Lakers or a Duke fan or Alabama football, whoever it is, try something else. Go support a Brighton or a West Ham or somebody else. Just get see what the see how the other half lives. It's a great way to uh, get some empathy for your American sports fans. <laughs> um, three, maybe you just want a great place to visit. There's plenty of London teams. London's an awesome uh, town to, to go to. Or if you go with any of the kind of top teams that get European action, dream of going to a Champions League away match at Real Madrid or Sevilla or you know Bayern Munich or all the other beautiful places throughout Europe or the Europa League. You don't even have to get qualify for Champions League. Dream of going over to Russia or wherever else and going to an away match. It's an awesome way to go out and see the world to support your club. And there is absolutely nothing like going to an international soccer match in person. Uh, I've been lucky enough to go to a few. I've gone to, you know, I don't know if it's thousands, but hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of American sporting events. And I'd say my most memorable sporting experiences, at least two of the top 10 have been international soccer games and I probably only attended five. So that's just how incredible of an experience it really is. Um, Maybe it's just a uniform. Maybe you've got your inner Dave Damashek going and just one set of colors or some pattern or something strikes your eye. Great. Go with them. Order a shirt. Wear it with pride. Uh, unlike basketball tank tops or football jerseys or baseball jerseys, soccer jerseys and soccer t-shirts actually look fairly normal on you. Uh, so go ahead and wear them and make them a fashion statement. Uh, two more. Do you want to get in touch with your roots? Players from all over the world play in Premier League. So pick someone from your motherland and ride with them or gravitate towards a player that you saw and loved in the World Cup and support their club. Don't even get through it through a club level. Get through it through a player. Somebody from wherever you're from or uh, just somebody you liked and you saw. Just go support their club. You got to start somewhere. And finally, you can just pick a team your friend supports because being a part of the community is one of the best things about all sports, but particularly international soccer. And if you don't have any friends who like soccer, pick Chelsea and I'll be your friend. I promise you that. <laughs> Trying to recruit more people onto the yacht. Always, always in favor of getting more people in the Blue Army. 
So, Brett, anything you would add before we start running through the teens? Mine's more of a cautionary tale. As much fun as you think it would be for you don't want to pick a team in the middle and you don't want to pick a team at the top, but you want to feel something during the season. So you're like, why don't I pick a shitty team and cheer against them to not get relegated? Well, a friend of mine did that and he picked a team called Hall City. And if you go, oh, who the fuck are they? Yeah, that's because they're dropping down the English tiers of soccer because they're fucking terrible. And then you have to find all the craziest the hidden subreddits to figure out where you can get a stream to watch that team play in League One. So just avoid the teams that are pretty much guaranteed to get relegated. Well, that is a perfect segue. So because we want you to get out and actually start watching soccer and not listen to us talk about soccer for three hours, we had to rule a couple of teams out that we're not going to recommend. Uh, so sorry for fans of these teams. If you have a great reason that you think people should support you, reach out to us. We get some really good ones. We'll read them on the second part next week. And that goes for all the teams. I mean, like you out there that are our community that are hearing this podcast, you probably support a, a team or you want to support a team. Tell us why. Pick a team and tell us why. Tell us why you picked the team you did. Tell us what, not even why you did it, why other people should do it now. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, and we can read out some of the best answers that we get as we go forward with this process. Uh, but here are the teams that just Brett and I, when we were talking through, we really couldn't see an excellent reason to uh, recommend over any of the other teams that we're going to talk about. So Norwich, sorry. Uh, relegation. You're probably going down. Yeah, it's fun to root for a championship to side team, I guess, but I'd rather root for a Premier League side, so sorry about that, Canaries. Uh, Burnley, same thing. Y'all are going down. Like You're getting relegated and couldn't come up with an excellent reason. Um, Y'all want, no part, of, y'all want no part of Sean Dyche. Y'all want no part of Sean Dyche. <laughs> Just no. Yes, save you from yourself. Um, Watford, relegation, maybe. We'll see. But uh, they're always going to be fighting the drop and couldn't come up with a really great, compelling reason to root for them despite that danger. Uh, Southampton. Uh, Brett, I know you had a lot harder take on this than I did, but truth of the matter is, is their youth academy is dried up and they're near bankruptcy. Uh, That's not fun to go through. Like if you're going to enter soccer and and pick a team that you want to support for the next 10, 20, 40, 100 years, however long it might be, pass it down to your kids. Don't pick one that's currently bankrupt and has no plan to uh, to get out. Of also, it. your joy during the matches will just be James Ward press free kicks, which uh, those happen <laughs> rarely. And that's not a fun way to enjoy soccer. All right. So now we got to get into the, the three cuts that they hurt a little bit. I'm not going to lie, because uh, I've had some good memories playing against these teams and have a certain level of fondness for them. But uh, the Wolves, Wolverhampton, they are a pain in the ass to play against. But they were way more interesting under Nuno, and there's way too much Jorge Menez influence, uh, who is an agent who plays a lot of games with his players and is going to give you a ton of heartburn trying to deal with them. Think of like if Scott Boris secretly ran a club, even though some might say he ran my nationals, uh, that wouldn't be something that I would recommend. So we're going to go ahead and cut the wolves for time. But, you know, if there's a certain level of fan out there who loves a good defensive draw that might uh, find themselves going. For I mean, or if you're just time. a person that's a fan of Portuguese super agents, by all means. I mean, we don't want to stop you. If that's your thing in life, then that's <laughs> your thing in life. No one here is going to judge you. This is a safe. Step. Oh, let your freak flag fry fly here. Uh, all right. The two that were the hardest cuts, Crystal Palace. Uh, 
I know I talk a lot about Connor Gallagher, but guess where he ain't playing next year? Crystal Palace. <laughs> I was just going to say, the best, the best and, thing about Crystal Palace is a player that won't be there next year. And, and frankly, I would pick every other London team um, above them. So while I'm giving out recommendations, I would probably recommend every team in London besides them. So we had to cut them. Although the one of the things I will say, if you do want to just just because you want to spite Toby and I in this in these little picks here, Wilfred Zaha might be one of the Premier League's best heels. So by all means, if that is your thing, feel free to look at Crystal Palace. Oh, he's so great. So great to hate. Um, all right. And then the last cut, uh, Aston Villa. Uh, Stevie G is going to be coaching Liverpool in three years after Klopp steps down, or at least all us, all us fans of other teams can hope Klopp's going to leave eventually. <laughs> and what, once that happens, they'll be back on the manager carousel, kind of kicking around the middle of the table. And uh, they wear the exact same uniforms as West Ham, and I'd pick West Ham over them 10 out of 10 times. Uh, also, so also I'm go ahead and cut Liverpool them. fans, uh, just cover your ears. We don't know if Stevie G isn't actually a good manager yet. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough, but uh, that's more reason for hope for the rest of us. Let's hope he's not and still coaching Liverpool in three years. (laughs) All right. Uh, So that brings us to seven teams that we're going to talk about today. We're going to do them in reverse order of current standings. But the one that we're starting with is a bit of a banger. Uh, We are going to start with Newcastle. They were founded in 1892. Nickname is the Magpies. And they have been playing at St. James Park since they were founded in the late 1800s. So, like, take your Fenway, take your Wrigley, and it is a new building compared to St. James Park. It's one of the biggest stadiums, and there is so much history there. Uh, so if you're into old state historic buildings, there's a good start for you. Uh, here are some of the pros. Some of you out there like to root for the villains and you are getting in on the ground floor of the biggest shit heels that the league are going to see for the rest of our lifetime. It's like watching first season of Walter White on Breaking Bad. You already know the ending and be like, fuck yeah, that's my guy. That's what you're getting into. That's the energy that you're picking Newcastle with right now. Uh, Second, it's basically in Scotland and Scotland is fucking awesome. Uh, they've spent 89 years in the top division, but their last major trophy was in 1955. So you are really getting in at a, a ground level. Uh, they have a bitter rivalry and I love a bitter rivalry in soccer. Like it's something to be like, Oh yeah, I kind of hate those guys or I kind of don't like them, but no, 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 no. This is a bitter rivalry with Sunderland and there's nothing like having somebody to root against when everybody's rooting against you. Um, they wear these old school jail stripe uniforms that make them feel even more like villains. They have a proper legend and Alan Shearer, one of the greatest goal scorers the premier league has ever seen. Uh, and they have Alan St. Maximin, their current legend who is awesome to root for. And, but they're going to have a brand new starting 11 soon because the biggest con of rooting for this team, uh, and it is not a small one is they were just bought by Saudi Arabia. Uh, Saudi Arabia, you might have heard some stories about journalists and a lot of other human rights violations. Uh, not great. Not great, Bob. Uh, so they are going to have two strikes against them for most people, but some people like that. We're the, we're here for you. If you like to root for the villains, these are your guys. And look, I'm going to be perfectly uh, forthcoming here. 
I'm not going to obviously come down on the Saudi Arabian side or anything insane like that with all the things that they've uh, been accused of over the years. That said, there is a certain level of uh, willing blindfulness we all go through as sports fans. There's a certain level of church and state. The owner of your favorite team right now, chances are he ain't a saint. Chances are that they have not as big, a, not as big of um, massive violations as the new owners of Newcastle. But if you start taking the moralistic reasons to root for a team, you might end up not watching sports. Uh, so just one thing to keep in mind: I wouldn't pick Newcastle right now because of uh, of their new ownership. But you know, as someone who's had to deal with Dan Snyder for the last twenty two years. Uh, I haven't quit the team, so I can't get too far up on my soapbox. What would you say about Newcastle, Brett? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it brings up a really interesting question about, you know, we talked about in earlier, at least I was talking about kind of like that geopolitical mix that you get with soccer, right? And with Mohammed bin Salman, you know, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, obviously for that name, it was linked to the murder of the journalist Jamal Khashoggi, like, but this is not the only, like, kind of petrol fuel Middle Eastern country that's kind of using a team to, as what they call it, sports wash their image, right? Like the Qatari Wealth Fund owns PSG. And then Sheikh Mansur, who's uh, part of the United Arab Emirates, owns Manchester City. And that's how like City is blowing up over the last things. And all these countries obviously are very problematic for different reasons, you know, and it's really hard. And that's kind of like one of the, I wouldn't call it a fun, but one of the kind of interesting questions that you have, you know, these days in soccer is like, how do you separate this stuff, right? Like, how do you want to just enjoy a soccer match, but also know that they're linked to people that are really terrible people, um, you know? And But I mean, like you said, this filters all the way down. Um, you know, you look at Liverpool's owner and Liverpool is kind of seen as like the shining light of a club and everybody loves Liverpool, right? Um, but even the way that, you know, John Henry treated Raheem Sterling when he was on his way out and kind of the racial undertones that were involved there, like, that wasn't great. <laughs> um, you know, so there's always going to be some scratchiness there. Newcastle stands out a little bit more and it, you know, you could, you could kind of see how questionable it was when like Mike Ashley was like your typical rich Dick owner um, when he sold Newcastle and you know, there wasn't an upgrade to go from him to Muhammad bin Salman. So, you know, it's interesting. Part of the thing about, you know, if you're going to become a Newcastle fan too, is um, 538 has been a 78% chance of getting relegated. So there's a pretty good bet that even if you're like, oh, the money's coming and they could have some interesting players and like blow up like city. Uh, well, you're going to be on ESPN plus every once in a while trying to find games for Newcastle next year. No, but come on. 530 is not factoring in the January transfer window. Every one away player in Europe is they on also might not be, wages right now. <laughs> they also might not be factoring in Eddie Howe. So <laughs> I know, but come on. I mean, when they have to just get above Watford and Burnley and uh, Norwich, like, I understand there's 78% chance to get relegated right now. I just don't think the team that's going to play from February through May is in a black and white uniform. And so, look, I, I don't want this to come across as like I'm the biggest Newcastle defender in the world. I will just say this. If you could set aside the morality of rooting for this team and not fall down the slippery slope because like I – Certainly, I'm not going to wear everything that Abramovich has ever done in his life. Uh, that's why I have to have a certain amount of ostrich syndrome. I'm admitting to it. I'm admitting to my bias here. Like the owners of teams that I root for are incredibly flawed, and I still try to find some joy in sport. 
Uh, and I think if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are as well and not getting too wrapped in the geopolitical stuff. But if you can set that aside, and I'm happy to take this wager with you right now, Brett, outside of the big six clubs, Newcastle is the most likely team to win the Premier League in the next 15 years uh, of anybody that we're going to talk about because of the money. They are going to spend and spend to get that shiny image that they're going for, and it's going to translate to Manchester City, Manchester United, Chelsea, Liverpool level players over the next five years. Yeah, and if you want it, and if you want to be in before that, like I got in before Abramovich, this is your best bet. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely you know we've talked about this I think on one of our first shows is that wages are pretty much the biggest indicator of success, like how much you pay your players. And so with the amount of money and the investment that's going to go into Newcastle right now, uh, not to mention that St. James Park, where they play, is still one of the bigger stadiums in the Premier League, like their revenue is going to be off the charts. So it is a, probably just a matter of time before we're talking about a top seven, um, just strictly based on the financial power behind them. So, yeah, you know, in that sense, for like the competitive sense of what the Premier League would be when you add a seventh team into the mix, um, you know, it's going to be interesting over the next like five to seven years at that club. I personally, just not only because of who their owners are, but just because I'm a dick, I would love to see them become like the new Everton instead of the new Man City. But, you know, we'll just have to see how it plays out. I mean, they're obviously going to have a lot more money to spend. But at the same token, you know, we've seen some teams kind of like cower to the financial fair play um, a little bit. And so it'll be interesting to see like how much they can really spend because losses are going to be big. You know, teams can only spend X amount of the revenue in order to kind of stay on the right side of financial fair play. Um, so it'll be kind of yeah. fun to see like what happens from, you know, the power grab within the premier league um, when you push all the other stuff away. Yeah. Financial fair play is really held back PSG and city. Yeah, They're just cowering their boots at that restrictions. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. In theory, it should slow teams down. It's been relatively toothless in practice. Yeah. All right. So Newcastle, if you want an American comp, uh, think Raiders, Think Astros, uh, think you know on the kind of everybody hates them and they think they cheat side, or think about the '90s area Dodgers or the Nets a few years ago, which are like sleeping powerhouse teams that if you had a crystal ball, you knew they were going to spend as much as they were in the future years, then you'd be getting in before they did so. So uh, the rest of the teams are going to be less controversial. As I'm saying, I am not forgiving anything that they've ever done. I am just advocating slightly for the separation of uh, morality from sports, from everything else that goes around it. Cause otherwise how the hell could I even sleep at night? Uh, all right. Uh, next team that we're going to talk about is Leeds. Leeds was founded in 1919 and have been playing at Ellen road ever since. Uh, so some of the pros for Leeds. It, they have tremendous history, but they don't have a bandwagon because they haven't won a league title since 1992. They made a Champions League final in 1975 and a semifinal in 2001. So you're not talking about a club that has always been middle of the table or always an afterthought throughout the continent. They have a very successful history that has fell on really tough times uh, You know, in the last 20, 30 years. Uh, they have nice uniforms, nice crisp white with great accents. They have a signature song. I love a signature song. I love something that can rally an entire supporting base and club behind uh, something that, you know, is a symbol and gets everybody fired up to, to go out together. They have a great one and marching on together. They have a couple of really uh, high level rivals 
and Manchester United and Chelsea. Though I will say, if you ask a Manchester United or a Chelsea fan who your biggest rival is, they're not going to say Leeds. So Leeds kind of considers them their biggest rival, but it's not mutual. And a lot of that was uh, kind of expanded since they were out of the top flight from 2004 to uh, 2020. So there's not a lot of recent history to it. And so it's hard to like get the rivals among fans like me who weren't around in the 1980s to see some of these grudge matches. Uh, the 49ers are minority owners. So if you're a 49ers fan, there's a good reason to root for them. And they have a couple of interesting players right now, Rafina and Patrick Bamford. Uh, but I think their manager, Bielsa, is the real star here. And I know Bielsa is a man after your heart, Brett. Yeah, I mean, how can you not love El Loco, right? Um, no, I mean, the lead story is pretty cool, right? Like they basically went into they were, they won a few league titles kind of late 60s, early 70s. Um, you know, then they're kind of flat around the leagues. They had this huge financial crisis in like the early 2000s where they plummeted down the English divisions. And Bielsa has been like the guy uh, to bring him back. And Bielsa is a really cool figure in the sport. Um, like his nickname is El Loco, um, which you, most of you can probably understand what that one means, um, because he's he's kind of been this like crazy ideologue in terms of his philosophy at the sport, um, the things that he's had at the club. He's had stints where he's literally been manager of uh, clubs for like a day. Um, <laughs> so he's like a cool figure. And a lot of the really like good managers in the sport revere him. So like you're talking like Pep Guardiola. Mauricio Pochettino, like these guys, uh, Diego Simeone, these guys all look to like the influence of like Bielsa as like imprinting their own philosophy. So he's kind of like the godfather of a lot of these, you know, top managers today. Um, and their story, like even, even in the last few years is really cool. The core of their team is still built on um, the mid table championship team that Bielsa took and basically rose and brought him to the premier league. Um, the problem is, is that Bielsa's 66 and while it's fucking amazing, he can sit in that crouch at 66 for an entire game. Oh, which man, when I'm 66, if I can like sit down in a chair without feeling like I broke my hip, I'll be amazed. Um, Shit. You know, 46. Yeah, sure. <laughs> probably that way too. I'd probably say 46 might actually be even better, but like, I don't know where this club would go without Bielsa. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot of it's going to depend on their, their new manager. I, I think they've kind of missed a few transfers. You mentioned Rafinha, who is kind of a fun player to watch, um, but he's also now on the radar of like a lot of big clubs, including Bayern Munich. Um, and usually when those clubs, cl clubs come calling for a guy on a mid table, merely team, uh, they go. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens with this club post Bielsa, but while you have them there, like, these games are never going to be boring. That dude plays this really unique man marking, super aggressive pressing style. He gives zero fucks about being open in the back. So that's how you get some of their matches, you know, where they end up losing like six, three or seven to two um, because he will press and press and press and press. You know, he famously said, if my players weren't human, I never lose games. Like the dude is, is nuts. And his team plays like a bat out of hell. So there's a really like a ton to like, like about the story. Um, it just like after he goes, you might not be too happy. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, like if you're an American fan, it's like, oh, I can't get into soccer because zero zero is so boring and there's not enough action. Well, say hello to our friends at Leeds. Yeah. They will gladly play a seven goal banger uh, all day long. And whether they win or lose, there are going to be a lot of goals. So if that is something you're looking to avoid and you just want all action all the time, maybe they're your team. 
Um, you know, Brett gave some of the cons. You know, they're probably going to be mid-table for a while, and they're in danger of once Bielsa leaves, depending on who they hire after that. Uh, Leeds is a bit out of the way if you're looking to visit. Um, but, you know, I think there's like a lot of great reasons to select them. And if I was going to give, you know, American comps, I would say they're like the Vikings or the Orioles, teams that had like tons of success for previous generations, 60s, 70s, 80s. Uh, but, you know, the modern iteration just can't quite get back to the top of the mountain. So somebody like that, I think, is the most uh, fair, comp- fair comp for Leeds. Anything else you would add, Brett, before we move to the next team? No. I mean, I think we pretty much covered it all. I mean, like I said, there's nothing wrong with being a fan of El Loco. Yeah. All right. Well, you know what? Our next team is Everton. And, Brett, I need you to warm up the vocal cords because you're going to carry water on this one. Um, In order to warm them up, we are going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, we are back. And if you have not told, uh, figured it out already, this one's going to be a bit longer than the previous ones, but we have a lot to say. And we're really excited about getting you to pick a new favorite club. But I'll tell you who's not excited about getting you to pick their favorite club is, is my friend Brett here, who is an Everton fan. Uh, I'm going to quickly do the pros, and then Brett is going to drill you on the cons <laughs> why you should absolutely not pick this squad. Uh, so Everton was founded in 1878 they are one of the original founders of the first league of uh in of soccer in england they are nicknamed the toffees and they've been playing in goodison park since 1892 one of the cool things about everton is uh goodison park and liverpool stadium are less than a mile apart and they are real rivals i've said it earlier it is great to have a real rival except right now that rivalry is like Packers, Bears, and football, and Everton are the Bears in that analogy. <laughs> yeah, no, Rogers owns Everton. I get it. Uh, but having <laughs> stadiums that are that close, but here, but what are the what are the nice things about it? Not as much hooliganism. Uh, for a lot of clubs that are separated by such little distance and have such passionate fan bases, not a great history there. But not Liverpool. Like there's been some, I guess, a little bit, but it's known as a more friendly rivalry. So uh, you don't have to kind of get your nails too dirty in the in the history of the rivalry with some of the violence that have stricken other clubs. Um, they also have a history of consistency. They've been in the top division all but four seasons. Um, they won the 1995 FA Cup, so they have a, a major trophy in you know the last 30 years, but not one in the last 10 or 15, so no one's going to accuse you of jumping on a bandwagon with them. Great uniforms. Of course, I'm a little bit biased because they look a lot like Chelsea's. Um, they've walked out to the same song since 1962. Uh, Leighton Baines was pretty sweet. I'm running a little bit low now. And their current player, Ricarlison, while really frustrating, is really entertaining. So that's my list of pros. Go ahead, Brett. Give us all the cons. Ah, man. Yeah, I told Toby when we started this that I was going to pitch this like a bad infomercial and be like, if you want a team that is great at gross incompetence, buys players for way over their value only to sell them at a loss years later. Everton is the club for you. So come on down. (laughs) But I I mean, it's just tough Uh, for all the reasons that I said in the beginning of why I originally uh, wanted to kind of support Everton and was drawn to Everton. Like the exact opposite thing has happened. A club that was really smart under David Moyes, like, you know, pinching pennies and being really thrifty with their signings basically just throws money at like mediocre players 
then fires a manager, changes styles, and those players go out the door the next year. My favorite was the year that they basically bought three number, three mediocre number 10s, a washed Rain, Wayne Rooney, Davy Clausen from Ajax, and Gilfie Sigurdsson from Swansea. And then immediately, <laughs> Rooney left the next year to go to MLS. Clausen went back to uh, the Dutch area division, and then Sigurdsson, I guess, hung around for a while. But the point is, is like this team is not at a plan for a long time. They move manager to manager, you know, under uh, last year, they, they brought in Carl Lancelotti. They just, uh, their new owner, or at least owner for at least the recent past, Fran Moshiri, basically is kind of a drawn to the shiny object. So he went after Ancelotti, who had a ton of success in other leagues. He managed Real Madrid, he managed in Italy, with AC Milan. And he, you know, he's won trophies, right? Like it's all about rings, right? Rings, baby. You know, and then they moved on from him after a year, but after they spent a shit ton of money on Hamas Rodriguez and not only money, but wages on Hamas Rodriguez, on Alan, on uh, Decore. And then they went to Benita, Rafa Benitez also had some success, but another big name, kind of old school guy. And then what did the first thing that Benitez did? He basically told Hamas to go fuck himself and send him, <laughs> send him to a league in the Middle East. So it's, it's, that's like a perfect encapsulation. I could go back. I could go back, you know, and uh, go through the years of the incompetence. But it's basically been mismanagement, misspending. Um, you know, there is some genuinely exciting stuff. I I think Dominic Calvert Loon is going to be one of the best English strikers in the next few years. He's been out hurt this year, but he had a great end of the last season. Uh, I've jokingly told people he's going to look great replacing Robert Lewandowski and Bayern Munich. Um, so he, you know, they have like legitimately good talent. Um, I mentioned Wilfred Zaha as one of the Premier League's best heels. Uh, Richarlison fucking fights him tooth and nail for that title. Um, he is probably <laughs> the least fun Everton player I've ever had, least fun good Everton player that I've ever had to watch. <laughs> um, but, you know, after that, it's just kind of a mixed match of, okay talent some young guys that might be all right and dudes like michael Keane that you wish would go back to burnley um you know it's yeah but come, but come on man like you still support them there's got to be some reason you still support well, them besides you like david moore i think the reason is with most years money if they could ever figure out a way to kind of get him out of the decision making progress process and have like a clear top down structure and stop going after these older wash managers that have ideas of football that were successful 10 years ago, but have clearly become kind of outmoded in the recent times, the way the game is played, you know, Everton legitimately financially, especially with the new stadium coming, they could be a team that really does crack the top six or seven. Um, like they should be, they should be wages based. They should be the seventh, six or seventh best team in the premier league right now. Um, clearly that's not the case, but the potential is there. So you know, and it's not like you're getting money from Saudi Arabia coming in to do this. I mean, like you said, everybody has skeletons in their closet. Who knows with Moshiri what his shit is. But in theory, this is a mid-table club that if they got their shit together, they could actually start to challenge for the upper echelon of the Premier League. And that would be kind of a fun thing because it's very rare, um, you know, to have a team outside of the top six that you could say consistently could get themselves into Europe can maybe win an FA Cup to maybe win a Carabao Cup if you actually care about the Carabao Cup. But they could actually win a trophy. Everton are one of the teams that financially, in theory, they could do that. They also have at least one piece in Calvert-Lewin that's already on the, the club's roster that could make a difference. So there are some reasons to do it. I wouldn't recommend it, but, you know, 
<laughs> well, roll the dice, like, people. Roll the dice. If you if you want the perpetual fight, right? I mean, like they're probably not going to get relegated, short of a disaster, and they're always going to be somewhere in the middle. They're going to finish six to fourteen, and then uh, maybe they jump up if they get some, you know, some more cash injection. Who knows? I don't know. Like I. I don't think like them and Liverpool are separated by that much. And Liverpool's one of the five best and brightest clubs in the world right now. And Everton that, it's that has word. a stadium a mile away. It's brightest. Brightest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had Michael Edwards as a technical director there. They they clearly were very smart about their transfer fees. Um, you know, I mean, they bought Mo Salah as a bar. And I mean, when you look at the Mo Salah transfer now, and I know this hurts you as a Chelsea fan because he was once in your organization. Um, but, you know, yeah. Salah basically had a down year. We talked about expected goals a lot on this podcast. You know, that's the difference between a club like Everton and Liverpool. When Everton kept the – when Swansea kept raising the price tag on Guilfi Sigurdsson, even though a huge part of his production were goals from penalties to free kicks, Everton just kept moving up to pay that price. When Mo Salah had a bad finishing year and his price tag dropped, Liverpool swooped in and bought what is now the best player in the Premier League. And that's like a perfect encapsulation of like where these two clubs like went in opposite directions, because for a while under the last years of Moyes and kind of like when Kenny Day leash was trying to write the ship a little bit. And even with, uh, you know, before Brandon Rogers had his big year with SAS, you know, they were, there was, there was like actual hope that Everton could be the team that leapfrogs Liverpool. And then they just went in the fucking toilet with their decision-making and Liverpool became the smartest team of the league. So, yeah, but it was there at one point. It was close. So uh, American comps, think Clippers, think Jets, think of second teams in major cities that should be better than they are. I think that kind of perfectly lines up Everton. Uh, Everton and the Jets, that's a great analogy. (laughs) All right. All right. So now that we got you all wound up, let's uh, go ahead and hit your G spot here with Brentford. (laughs) Brentford founded in 1889, nicknamed the Bees. They play in a new stadium, Brentford Community Stadium, uh, built in 2020. And they are in West London. They are less than uh, 12 minutes from Chelsea's home ground at Stamford Bridge. So great place to visit if you want to get over there and support your club. Uh, Pros for the squad in my notes. uh, They're in the Premier League for the first time since 1947. So uh, you are getting in super ground floor. And I think they're staying up. No major trophies. Um, Okay, uniforms. I don't know. The red and stri- the red red and white stripes don't do it for me, but it might do it for somebody else. They have a real rival in Fulham. Uh, it'd be nice if Fulham showed up for the rivalry by staying up more than a season or two, but they do have a real rival there. Uh, and they might have the best story of an owner of anybody in the Premier League. So let us talk about Matthew Benham. Matthew Benham um, and Sal, if you are listening to this, he is now your new hero. <laughs> Matthew Benham was a professional sports gambler, gambler who initially invested $700,000 in the club and somehow ended up owning the team. And then after he, he took over ownership of the team, he bought another team in Denmark just to try stuff out at. Like just a play team. So he buys his team in Denmark. They try wild analytical stuff over there. If he likes it, he brings it over to Brentford. Uh, and if he doesn't, uh, he throws it away. So not only is he a professional gambler who got all the way up to leverage himself to buy a Premier League level team, he bought a second team just to make that team better. It's all analytics. He got rid of his youth teams, and now they just try to identify undervalued pros. 
This guy is a god. Um, if you were to ask me who is the most likely team to have a shot at replicating Leicester's magical run, it's got to be Brentford. It's got to be. They're the only ones who could go from, hey, we were playing, you know, lower division championship sides to we're trying all this crazy stuff and identifying undervalued pros, turning them into all world destroyers and having one magical season competing and then selling them off. But let's just skip past that because you get the one magical season of them competing. I know you love them, Brett. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, Brentford is like legitimately one of, you know, at least one of the smartest teams in the Premier League. And like, you know, it's easy to like blanket team and like this team is smart, but like you can actually see it in what they do. So one of the areas of inefficiency in soccer in general right now is set pieces, right? Like a lot of data experts are saying that teams leave a ton on the table in terms of their preparation for set pieces, in terms of their output on set pieces. And, you know, Brentford rarely has possession. They clearly don't have the top level of talent, but they're fourth in the Premier League in set-piece shots, and they're tied for first in expected goals off of set-pieces. Like, you can clearly see, like, there is a plan in place with this team. And then you mentioned their youth club. So basically what they did is they knew that financially they would not be able to keep up with, like, the huge grassroots movements of, like, City and United who can have these huge networks and get, like, the best six-year-olds in the country scouted around the world and into their academy and then turn them into the next whoever. Um, well, the next Connor Gallagher. Sorry, Toby. Uh, so they knew that. So they basically scrapped the academy model in that re- respect and focused it on like kind of recruiting cast-offs from bigger academies between 17 and 21. And they did it outside of the kind of the model or the league essentially um, that the regular U23 teams and youth programs are where teams can actually poach players for like a set fee. So they protect these assets, develop them and then integrate them into their first team. They just basically zigged when everybody else was zigging and they knew they can compete. So like you can see the plan, you can see the smart shit that's going on with Brentford and like eventually that's going to pay off. And they already have a track record too of just being really savvy with their purchases. Like, I know some of these names maybe aren't going to seem amazing, but you got to remember this was a Brentford team that was working its way up the English runs and they have bought and sold um, Andre Gray for a profit to a Premier League team. Ali Watkins, who went to Aston Villa, Neil Malpay, who went from Brentford to Brighton before Brentford was up in the Premier League. Um, so he had Bren Rama and then they have currently have Ivan Tony as their main striker right now. He scored like 30 goals in the championship form last year. So like they have this track record of like finding these guys that can, do shit and they can create value and then move them on for value. And then now they're going to have premier league money behind them. So yeah, I was doing this shit all over the, this team and the other one who has an origin with a very similar or an owner with a very similar origin story would be easily one of the two teams that I would gravitate towards just because you kind of know that like, they're always going to be ahead of where everybody else is. And that's going to help them, you know, kind of have some cool stories and some, some fun and unexpected success down the line. Yeah. We just heard what you said about Everton. You are going to be wearing a Bradford kit within oh, six sure. months. I'm calling it right now. Yeah. I will have a, I will have an Embuemo kit at some point <laughs> soon. So uh, Brett, Brett in talking about the pros of the team, he also hit on the con. Just be comfortable with this. If you pick Brentford, they are going to sell your favorite player over and over and over and over again. So you're going to fall in love. You're going to become attached. You're going to say, oh, my God, our future is so bright. And then they're going to sell that guy for a profit and replace him with two more versions of him. 
Uh, so, like, I think they can put it together for a season or two and, and maybe longer, especially as if they'll continue to stay up because they are operating at such a high analytical level. But if you're talking about, oh, I want to fall in love with the guy, join the club at eight and then play till he was 32, forget about it. That ain't Brentford. Uh, so, like, if I was looking at an American comp for them, imagine Cousin Sal hits a massive 17-team <laughs> teaser. He then buys the Pirates – and he turns the Pirates into the Tampa Bay Rays. That's what Brentford is. <laughs> I really hope he listens to this. <laughs> um, All right. Uh, so next up, we have Brighton. Uh, Brighton, founded in 1901, nicknamed the Seagulls. They play at Falmer Stadium, uh, which is relatively new. It came in 2011. Pros, they've stayed up for five straight years. Not a small feat for, uh, for them. So if you're getting in on Brighton now, I mean, maybe they go back down, but they're they're pretty comfortably starting to like find their way into the middle of the table and staying there. They have no major trophies, so there's zero bandwagon potential here. Uh, fun fact about Brighton, it is the happiest place to live in the United Kingdom, as done by a survey of residents. Uh, it is a seaside town about, what is it, about an hour south of London, uh, right there on the water. I've never been, but I hear it's an amazing place to visit. Uh, it's a team full of guys who have something left to give before retiring to MLS, like Danny Wallbeck, Shane Duffy, Adam Lallana. <laughs> I mean, they're it's a way station, but they still they're still too good for MLS. But they are just good enough for Brighton, if you know what I mean. Uh, so you know, you get some recognizable guys that came through the league and are now playing uh, playing it out before they head over to the US, and there's a lot of fun in that. So if you want a team full of relatively happy fans in a beautiful community watching name brand guys, well, not at the top of their game, but still with something to contribute, Brighton's a hell of a squad. Yeah, well, I mean, they still have an owner, um, and this is not a repeat, and their owner is Tony Bloom. And so Tony Bloom, I mean, Sal, you really, you're really missing the boat here. Uh, basically got his start. And one of the biggest things he did is he bet with kind of a group and they made a, a bunch of money when he picked France over Brazil in the 1998 world cup. He turned that money into basically a gambling service to help beat the lines called star lizard. And then from there, 2009, he bought his boyhood club. So Tony Bloom bought the team that he grew up watching, which is just fucking awesome. And I mean, really, yeah. like Sal, I don't know you like Toby does, but come on, man. Like, come on, man. Where are you at? Yeah, but this is like this would be like if Sal uh, won a 34-team parlay, bought the Cowboys, <laughs> yeah. and then turned them into the, and then turned them into the Lions. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're giving you're giving Brent, you're not giving Brent for the credit they deserve. They also have a really smart analytical-based approach. You know, they they've bought they've been buying players constantly on the right side of the age curve. Um, you know. The weird thing is, is they've kind of um, last year they had, the, I think it was like the fourth, fourth or fifth best XG differential in the Premier League. And their results were just incredibly unlucky. So they kind of were tugged pretty close to the relegation battle. This year, they're up near the top half of the table and their underlying performance hasn't been as good. And they've gotten a little bit lucky. So A, it shows you how fluky soccer is. But also, they've kind of lost some guys like Ben White went to Arsenal for 60, uh, I think 60 million pounds. This is going to be another team that's like Brentford. They're going to buy some good young players. The ones that pan out, and the next one for them will be Eve Basumu, who's one of their midfielders. They're going to move those guys on. They're going to sell them, and they're going to repackage them with another guy until eventually they hopefully hit on the right group of like 21 to 24-year-olds, and they get a three or four stars, and then they hit. 
And that's kind of the model for like Brighton, for Brentford. Like that's how those teams become good. But the faith that you have in them is that they have a good manager. Uh, Grant Potter, I think, is a good manager. They're not super exciting to watch this year, but they do have some exciting young guys. Um, Tyreek Lamptey, former Chelsea product, um, is pretty exciting young right back. Uh, Leandro Trussard killed us. Doesn't he killed Chelsea? He just killed oh, that, Chelsea that was, in the midway game. That was the typical. I'm coming back home to fuck up my old team game. Oh my god, he was dynamic in that game. I was so jealous. Um, and you know, Leandro Trussard looks pretty slick when he has the ball at his feet. He doesn't produce like an elite level attacker. Um, you know, Pascal Gross has been consistently one of the more. He's getting up there in years, but and he's hung around with Brighton for a while, but he's consistently been one of the more creative players in the Premier League. So there's some like cool shit that goes on with this team. Um, you know, they have identified players that you know aren't super sexy, but they're really helpful in allowing teams win. Like they bought Adam Webster for basically nothing at Barnsley. He's one of the best center backs in the league at like getting the ball into the attacking third and winning it back. Um, you'll see him kind of pull what we call a Rudiger where he drives into the opposing third from the back line, um, you know, make some plays in the final third. It's, it's not a true Rudiger unless he kicks it into the 50th row. Yeah. That's the only way you get the full Rudiger. Yeah. He's like a half Rudiger then he's like, he's yeah. half Rudiger. He's diet. He's diet Rudiger. <laughs> but you know, they, they bought, um, uh, you know, some uh, good young players from, you know, different leagues, including La Liga. Um, they're clearly buying guys on the right side of the age curve which is the clear sign of a well-run team at this point. If you're buying players that are before they're hitting their peak at good value, that, that shows you that your team has a good approach. You know, Tony Bloom obviously comes from the same background as the Brentford ownership group where he used odds and modeling to kind of, you know, beat basically spreads. Um, now he's doing the same thing to find market inefficiencies. So Brentford's another cool team that you could choose again. If, it, if I was doing this all over again, it would be a real toss up between Brightford and Brenton for me at this point. Yeah. Well, I got to say, if you're listening to this, uh, you're probably into gambling. And so let me add another reason to pick a soccer team. If you're a great gambler and you're a soccer fan, you can apparently just buy your team. <laughs> you can just go out and buy your favorite team. So pick a favorite team, get better at gambling, and then own them. And then hire us just to hang out. I mean, we're not, we're not expensive. We just want to be there. Hashtag, hashtag goals. That's really what it is. Hashtag goals. <laughs> so uh, for, for Brighton, you know, given an American comp, it would kind of be like moving to Southern California and then be like, yeah, I'm going to pick the Padres over the Dodgers or the Lakers. That's the vibe you would be on. Uh, all right. Two teams rem- remaining. Uh, we apologize for the length, but we're having so much fun. We hope you are too. Uh, so, and for those of you who've been complaining that we don't talk about the non-power six teams enough, well, you're welcome because this is the pod for you. We are really <laughs> digging into these squads, and we are barely talking about the one that you know eighty percent of you are going to pick. So that's going to be for next week. <laughs> uh, all right, two, two teams left today. So next we have Leicester. Uh, founded in 1884, nicknamed the Foxes. They play in King Power Stadium, which was built in 2002. Let's get the big pro out of the way. Uh, the 2016 Premier League Championship is maybe the greatest sports story of oh, my for, lifetime. For sure. Maybe. I mean, well, there's, I no, I there's bo- no comparison in any other sport. I think I was born within a week of the Miracle on Ice in 1980. So I'd have to check the exact date of that game. If it was before I was born, then it's definitely Leicester. But otherwise, I mean, that's the level of sporting event that we're talking here. They entered the season at 5,000 to one to win the Premier League. They were in the championship. So they weren't even in the Premier League 
uh, two years before they won the entire thing. And almost got relegated the year before. And in the year before, uh, they were, with nine matches left, they were a lock. They were a math, almost a mathematical lock to get relegated with only nine matches left. They won seven of the last nine to save off relegation and then won the whole bleeping league the next year. I mean, like, like if you watch Major League and you're like, oh, yeah, that doesn't seem possible. Then like Lester's going to blow your mind because what they did was just beyond incredible. Seven years before they won the league, they were in the fucking third division. That's, like the story of 2016 cool. Lester yeah. is absolutely wild. And if you were a Lester fan who got to enjoy that journey, then like I cannot imagine it. I cannot imagine a more satisfying sports experience than being a Lester fan watching them win that title. It is every single thing you want in sports. Uh, and look, they were a one trick pony. They won the FA Cup just last year. Uh, so they've continued to have some success since then. Uh, they have a real rival in Nottingham Forest, although it's hilarious to think of Nottingham Forest as a Premier League champions rival. But here we are. Um, Yorley Telemans is an awesome player, super fun to watch. And Jamie Vardy is an outright legend. He's the guy who stayed from that 2016 team. They had, you know, I think four players that year who were on the uh, the Premier League team of the year. Jamie Vardy obviously being one of them. Well, your boy, other your, three. your boy Angolo Conte. Yeah, Angolo Conte was one of them. Uh, Mares and was Wilson. I think Wilson might have been on the, the team that year. And Drinkwater was close, which is hilarious looking at how his Chelsea career is gone. But of all the amazing talent they had that year, Jamie Vardy has stuck around while everybody else left. Uh, he is just an incredible symbol for the team and just, you know, a fun player to kind of rally around. Uh, before I hear your your on-field uh, thoughts on Lester, I do want to hit the big con from my perspective. Uh, I don't know if any of you are Sopranos fans, but the very first episode of Sopranos, uh, Tony is sitting down to therapy and the quote he gives is, it's good to be in something from the ground floor. I came too late for that. I know. But lately, I've been getting the feeling that I came in at the end. The best is over. That's how I feel about joining Lester now. <laughs> For the rest of your life, you've got to hear fans talk about the incredible 2016 season. And there's no possible way to replicate it since it was so shocking. And you weren't a part of it. So my biggest con to picking this team, do you want that? Do you want to have people talking about how amazing 2016 was for the next 100 years and you not have been there? I personally wouldn't want it, but if you can get over that, then they're a great selection because holy shit, was that an amazing story? Yeah. And I mean, you know, when we talk more practically about it too, you know, there's really three teams and we're going to get to the third and final one next after this, then I have a real chance of like kind of cracking the hierarchy in the premier league. Right. And Leicester is one of the realistic options. You know, they, they have that amazing title run. It got them into the Champions League. It kind of vaulted them into a little bit higher uh, stratosphere as far as like financial power. Um, and then they, you know, they sold some of the players. They sold Ngoal Conte. They, they sold Danny Drinkwater to Chelsea, which was an epic uh, signing by Chelsea there. And then Mares obviously went for like a shit ton of money to Manchester City. And but then they reinvested that money. And you know, they actually they have a really uh, a bunch of really talented players. Um, you know, Yuri Tillemans, who you mentioned, is one of the best prize central midfielders in the world or at least in the Premier League, in my opinion. 
Um, James Madison is kind of an exciting, like new age, guilty Sigurdsson, whose name we're saying on this podcast way more than I would ever expected. Um, you know, Jamie Vardy obviously is going to slow down at some point because he's 34, but like Kalichi Inasho has been pretty good anytime that he's been healthy and been played by his manager. Harvey Barnes is still like kind of an up and coming winger prospect. So like there's, there's talent like there. Um, Wilfred Ndidi is one of the best ball winning midfielders in the world. Um, he is probably not long for Leicester city, especially cause he's almost like a too perfect of a fit for United as six. Um, but there's talent there and Brandon Rogers is kind of a lightning rod of a manager. Like there's a, like, I don't want to say controversial cause he doesn't really do anything off the pitch, but more like there's a lot of debate whether Brandon Rogers is actually a good manager. I'm more on the fence that his iconic moment was he had, uh, Luis Suarez and Daniel Sturridge. And Sturridge, who is one of the more underrated in the Premier League players in the last 10 years, had a peak season on top of Suarez, absolutely fucking lighting the Premier League apart. Um, and he kind of rode that to like that historic second play, uh, place finish with the slip that Toby has mentioned multiple times in this podcast from Gerard that kind of cost him the chance to win the title that year. And what also would have been a cool, amazing story for Liverpool to win. Um, oh no, 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 no. Roger's iconic moment was that behind the scenes series on Liverpool he that a, he was the star of. Where he had a photo of himself, a painting of himself in his own house. Yeah. <laughs> he had a painting of himself in his own house. And then his pre uh, season speech was writing two names in envelopes and sealing them. And then telling everybody they did not want to be the names in those envelopes because that was who's going to fail the team. <laughs> but they had no control over who he wrote down. Like it was incredibly <laughs> weird, like reverse oh, Jedi yeah. mind trickery. He's trying to make everybody feel like they're going to fail him before the season even started. So that that is an icon. We 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 could do an extra session where you and I live stream that weird ass fucking behind the scenes Liverpool thing with Brandon Rogers, and it, <laughs> there would be a yeah. lot to talk about. But save it for the live show. I'm sure we're going to sell out. Uh, we'll sing out, sell out the biggest stadium in Europe just for that. I'm I mean, sure. I think I can fit like 20 people in my condo, so we could probably host them here. Uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, like in theory, Lester has some of the pieces, and whether or not you know you believe in Brandon Rogers' manager or not, um, you know they reinvested their money from those runs. They have some good young talent. Like this club is fairly established. Um, they haven't been good the last couple of years. They're they're they've got been more lucky than good. Part of that is they've just had some fall off, like the defensive end. Um, Ricardo Pereira was one of the best fullbacks, I think, when he's healthy in the Premier League. Um, just hasn't played. And Timothy Castagna is not good. Luke Thomas is young and not ready. Um, their center backs without Johnny Evans have not been good. Um, they lost Wesley Fofana early in the season to a pretty gruesome leg injury. And he's a young center back that was kind of like supposed to push that back line forward. So, like, there's some real hope, though. Like, if you're a Leicester fan, you're never going to get that magical run again, probably. Um, but you actually have a team that could, like, compete and, like, win shit. Um, and I think that's a huge draw. Like, because it, it would kind of suck to just pick a team and then, like, have your highlight of your season being like, oh, yeah, my team finished ninth. Hooray. Um, yeah. But, yeah, Leicester definitely has some pieces in there. Um, they clearly are might have enough financial might. So the whole on to guys like James Madison, who don't have a real clear path to like the top teams, but they're still pretty good premier league players. So like, it's not going to be the treadmill that maybe like Brighton and Brentford are, where once a player that's good, that hits 24 is going to a bigger club. They might be able to actually hang on to some of those guys. 
Yeah, and look, they've made plenty of runs at the top four since they won the league. They just don't have the depth to run the entire race. Like, they get to game 34-35, and suddenly everything's piled up, and they choke away the last two games and fall from fourth to fifth or sixth. Yeah. So, um, they're always, they've always been competitive since then. And if they can just paper over their depth and string it together, like they can make a run at the top four again, for sure. Until Newcastle shows up and <laughs> makes it even harder for everybody to get there. Uh, so if I was giving the American comp for them, we're talking about like becoming a Villanova basketball fan in like 1986, 87, or like a St. Louis Rams fan in like 2000 after the Kurt Warner, like Yes, you would still get to root for a team that's been very good and had a lot of success, but you missed the magic moment, my friends. Uh, All right, so that leaves us with our last team for our last remaining listener. So we're on a one-to-one ratio here. Uh, We're going to go with West Ham. So Brett's mom, I want you to become a West Ham fan. Uh, They were founded in 1895. They play in London Stadium, which was turned over to them after the Olympics and something that was extraordinarily controversial and ended up with a lot of litigation. But they apparently won because they're playing games there every week and it has a 60,000 person capacity, which is excellent for their economics. And they're located right in East London. Uh, They have a cool nickname, the Hammers. They have an awesome, from my opinion, uh, tradition involving bubbles. Their song that they've been coming out to since the 1920s is I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles. And then the stadium lights up with bubbles around them. It's just kind of a a memorable, tangible thing, right? Like it's not just a song. It's an action, just like, you know, teams showing off fireworks or like Pittsburgh Steelers fans waving terrible towels or whatever it might be. It's an actual manifestation of the, the fans that you can like touch and feel. It's pretty cool. Uh, they won the 1980 FA Cup. That was their last major trophy. So it's certainly been a healthy gap. And the next one they win will be a huge deal. Uh, they have a real rivalry with Millwall. And they have a lesser rivalry with the other London clubs. But, um, you know, a lot of a lot of derbies that matter. Great youth development. Really are churning out some top-notch prospects out of their academy. And they have right now just tremendously fun players. Uh, Declan Rice. Antonio, who might be the most under-talked about striker in the Premier League. Uh, Thomas or Thomas Suchek, who, much through Brett's dismay, was just named one of the best 100 players in the world by ESPN. That's going to be a, the second spin-off pod that we have to do. We have a lot, have a lot uh, of spin-off pods coming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, we might need him if the Premier League stops playing, but let's see. Uh, and they have a real proper, proper legend in Sir Bobby Moore. Uh, so... If I was starting over, I would say, like, I'd probably still end up with Chelsea. Hopefully, Godspeed, I would make the right choice. But if I did not make the right choice, there's a real chance I'd end up with West Ham. I love that they play in London. The London Stadium gives them a big financial advantage for them to grow because as they can get their attendance numbers, as they keep putting a better product on the field, um, they're going to just fill that place up, which gives them an economic advantage. I know a lot of the money comes from television now, but you know, there's a reason people are looking to expand seating capacities because when everybody gets the same television money, you have to get game day revenue to have an edge over your rivals, and they have it with the the stadium. They're, they're more or less gifted. Um, I love what they're putting out with their youth academy, and I think they can remain competitive. I think they're going to be just like Leicester playing in that five to nine range for the foreseeable future. Uh, The reasons I wouldn't pick them, I hate their uniforms. I don't think they look very good. And I hate that they look exactly the same as Aston Villa. Like that mind F never gets out of my head. They're, they're identical. Um, 
they have a history of hooliganism. If that's something that bothers you, then West Ham is not for you because many a song and book and story and movie have been made about how rough that club could be in, in its past. I think it's toned down a little bit in the current environment, but man, some of the stories that you will read are a little bit rough. And um, Nate on Ted Lasso is now the coach of West Ham and Nate is the fucking worst. So I will not associate with anything that Nate is coaching. Uh, but if you can get over that, uh, there are so many great reasons to select them. Brett, what do you think of West Ham? I think we need another spinoff pod to talk about how season two of Ted Lasso went off the fucking rails and Nate's character development, but that's a whole other thing. Um, oh, yeah. You mean like everybody got into it because of the positivity and they put the most positive guy in therapy and had him contemplate suicide? You think that wasn't as fun as the first season wrong? Weirdly, no. <laughs> Weirdly. Oh, wow. Uh, hot take, hot take on my part. No, but, you know, West Ham is obviously... I'm going to be favorable to them because they got my boy, like David Moyes. Uh, Moyes is their manager. He's kind of studied the ship. Um, they're uh, a porn peddling part owner, the soul of David Sullivan and his son were really meddlesome. They had, you know, kind of some, uh, well, I don't know, maybe this isn't too close to home, but some nepotism there with his son getting involved. And then they hired Manuel Pellegrini who hired his son and basically almost got West Ham relegated. Moyes saved him. They didn't give him the job and then they brought him back. And then, you know, he had this great season last year, got him into Europa league uh, where, you know, Europa league is pretty wide open. And, and nowadays when you win Europa league, you don't just get a, a trophy, you get a bid into the champions league. And that's kind of like the goal for every mid table club right now. Like their aspiration is to make the champions league and like FC Porto right now, uh, according to five thirty eight, is like the best odds to win uh, the Europa league at 13%. West Ham have an 8% chance to win. So it's a wide open competition. If you club like, if you support a club like West Ham and they actually make the top six, they get into the Europa League, you know, and they make it in those knockout rounds. Like from there, you really have like a real shot. It's not a great one, but you have a real shot to make the Champions League that doesn't require outlasting teams that own you financially and from a talent perspective over 38 matches. Um, and West Ham is not going anywhere. Like David Moyes is probably going to be there for the long haul. He's bounced around a lot since he moved from Everton to Manchester United. Hard to see him like leaving West Ham for a better job at this point. I'm assuming that he's there until he gets fired or retired um, or retires. And they're the core group of players they have outside of Antonio is like prime age players. Like Declan Rice is 22. Pablo Fornals, who's been turned into a very serviceable attacking midfielder, is 25. Swiecek is 26. Um, and then Jared Bowen, who I think is on his way, and maybe this is an actual real hot take, into becoming a star. We talked about the Davies model and a couple Ooh. of podcasts um, where that Davies model is that model that puts together all the on-field actions and accumulates them into like basically how much a player helps the team score goals and be better. And we talked about how the four Liverpool players, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Yota, Mane, and Salah were the top four. Jared Bowen's number five, and he still hasn't really hit what is technically peak soccer age yet. Um, oh, actually, I think he actually, no, that's wrong. He's 25. So he is right in that peak, start of that peak soccer age cycle of 25. Um, so they may have a legitimate star. And so, and, and he would be a fun one because people are not looking at him like he is a top Premier League player right now. So if he blows up, you could be like, yeah, I was on the Jared Bowen bandwagon before it was cool, guys. Um, so there's a lot to like about like being a West Ham fan. Yeah. Well, if you're looking for an American comp, uh, I guess I would say something like University of Tennessee football. Like they play in the SEC. They have a proud tradition, a rich history, but they haven't been competing to win titles 
recently, but super fun to go to a game and uh, be a part of the culture. So something like that, I think, is where you'd be getting in with West Ham. Woo! Okay, we just got through those seven teams. Uh, we have six remaining, but we are not going to do them tonight. We are going to do them next week. But before we get you out of here, or welcome, if you just skipped the last hour and ten minutes to come to our picks, we do have to do the five-pint pickoff since we have some really great action this weekend. Uh, fingers crossed that they actually happen. So the current standings for December for the five-pint pickoff is Brett is at 39 points and I are pints. I'm sorry. And I am at 21.1 pints. So we're kind of playing out the string here. Brett wrapped it up with a massive week a few weeks ago where he just hit all of his out of the park. Um, but you know, I got one last swing here and I'm going to go down taking my best shot. Here are my picks for this weekend. Uh, I'm opening up with Tottenham minus 160 to get the win with one pint. I like how they're playing under Conti. Uh, they are not quite as stretched as the other teams because they had some cancellations. And I see them putting in a great performance uh, and gets not great opposition. So I like them to get the win. Don't like the number all that much, but I'm going to take one safe bet with Tottenham getting the win uh, this weekend. Next, I'm taking Wolves plus half a goal against Manchester United at plus 155. I think they are going to muck this game up. I think they are going to make lives miserable for Manchester United, just like they make it miserable for everybody else. And I can see them winning 1-0, or I can see them getting a 0-0 draw or a 1-1 draw. So since I think those are three of the most likely outcomes, um, I'm going to take one pint and get the plus money at 155 that they are going to make Manchester United drop points like they so frequently do against top sides. Uh, now let's get into the game that... Uh, most excited for this weekend for obvious reasons and the game I'd say most neutrals are excited about uh, Liverpool versus Chelsea. I am fading my team hard. They have the only wing back that they have is Alonzo. They're going to probably have to play Aspilicueta out there or they're going to have to throw Hudson Adoy or Pulisic out of the wing. Their back line is completely shot with injuries. Um, if Silva can't go and Christensen can't go, who's going to run the middle of the back three? I, I'm not sure. I don't know if they're going to do Chalaba again. And you're talking about a young kid who's trying to replace uh, Silva and a legend and Christensen and the Danish Maldini. Uh, <laughs> there's no way they're, they're going to be as well organized. Uh, they're going to get killed down the flanks. And like, who's going to boss the middle in order for them to take control of the game to actually keep this thing close? I mean, Angolo Conte is the obvious answer, but Angolo Conte came on for 30 minutes. It was limping. I'm not even sure he's going to play. The, the, after this game, Chelsea gets a little bit of a respite. Um, they are on absolute fumes right now. And you take that compared to Liverpool, who is going to run Mane and Salah into the freaking ground because they don't care about the African Cup. They're going to run those guys out there for 90 plus minutes playing as hard as possible. And they're going to chase Chelsea all over the field. I really want to be wrong about this, but I find Liverpool's press is going to crush Chelsea and uh, going to lead to a lot of fast breaks against an unorganized back line. And there's not much money can do about it. So I am fading Chelsea hard this weekend uh, and praying that I'm wrong. But in terms of my picks, giving me Liverpool plus 130 to win one pint. I cannot believe that has a plus sign in front of it, given Chelsea's uh, current health standards. Given Chelsea's current health standards, that is absolutely wild. Like if this game was played two months ago, uh, full fit lineups, 
Different story. Completely different story. I like us against Liverpool with full fit lineups. I mean, I don't love us because Liverpool's a juggernaut, but we were a juggernaut too. We just don't have any players left in really critical positions. Um, give me Trent Alexander-Arnold to get an assist at plus 250. Are you kidding me? Plus 250? Who the hell is containing Trent Alexander-Arnold in this game for Chelsea? Is Saul going to do it? Is Pulisic going to do it out of position? Is Joe going to do it out of position? <laughs> Fucking is, Saul. <laughs> is, is Alonso or uh, Aspilicueta, like, on the wrong side of the age curve with their current wheels, going to play against Trent Alexander-Arnold? I mean, this guy is going to get in 20 creative actions into the box and at plus 250 for one of them to get slotted home all day. And then give me a parlay because I need to catch Brett. That happened, but I appreciate the effort. Here is my same game, all Liverpool, all the time parlay. Give me Liverpool to win. Give me Trent Alexander-Arnold with an assist. And give me Liverpool over 1.5 goals for plus 1,600. Book it. I mean, like, one out of 16 times that those three things happen against this depleted Chelsea squad, I, I can't believe it. I think I'm getting, I think I'm getting twice the odds that I should, given the game scenario the way it's going to play out. So talk, you could try to talk me down, but this isn't me just like you know emotionally hedging. I think Chelsea are going to get worked this weekend. It's going to end our title race formally, uh, and hopefully we're going to get healed and we're going to go win the Champions League again, and I'll be happy. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know about all of that. I, I do like your strategy, though. It's a it's a classic like positive EV play for gambling is when you lose it all and you're down, just try to win it all back immediately. Great play. Oh, great advice for our oh, podcast. I love it. But yeah, no, that's that's why they stopped building casinos as people figured it out. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I'm on the same page with you. The only reason is I don't think we have like confirmed reporting that Mane and Salah are going to like for sure be guaranteed playing um, in the Chelsea match. But it is so weird to see that they were minus uh, 0.5 at a positive value. Like that's just. It was like jarring, you know, especially because Reese James is uh, was a torn hamstring, right? So Reese James, is- yeah, J- J- Reese James is not playing. Um, Christensen's not playing. I mean, they get Havertz back maybe, but Timo's still not going to be playing. And their le- their their legs up front are dead. Their legs in the middle are dead, and their their hamstrings on the t- sides are all torn. And their back line is devastated. Like, what well, what is the argument for Chelsea? I mean, here? I think the argument is Rom has been unhappy. It was reported today he's been unhappy with the system. Oh. So I think Tuchel putting him at wing wing back, left wing back, that'll be perfect for him. He'll be extremely, <laughs> oh, please. He'll be extremely content with being at Chelsea. Uh, no, he's gonna play. He's he's gonna play the center again, but he's gonna play center back instead of center forward. Okay. It's gonna be awesome. Okay, well, either way, you know, somewhere in defense, we'll put Ron back there. He'll love that system. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, there really isn't. Um, I mean, I think to me, the the picks are obvious. I think a Liverpool is a clean sheet win at plus three thirty, um, which seems like stealing money. Um, you know, again, a lot of this is gonna be if reporting comes out that Mane and Salah have to leave, and you got like. Divac Arrivi and Minamino starting on the wing for Liverpool is a little bit of a different match. Um, but if those two play, you know, you're taking the spread all day. Um, but honestly, my pints are going to go. We, we talked last week and two games have happened since then, but we talked last week and we said, we still don't know what the Antonio Conte Spurs team is going to look like. Then they played two matches after our podcast and they allowed less than one expected goal. And I mean, granted, they got a little bit unlucky against Southampton, 
but we are starting to see that this Spurs team is going to shut teams down defensively. Um, and Watford still bad. So for me, the clean sheet win for Spurs at plus one eighty five. I'm putting four points on that. Four pints on that on my own. Just kind of want to extend that lead out a little bit. So even if you beat me in months coming forward, I will just continue to talk about the gap that we had in December of 2021. Um, and then for my last pint, I'm actually with you on Wolves United too. Um, I think the team that people might get a little carried away seeing United be Burnley 3-1, Ronaldo going and assist. Um, but A, Burnley's not very good. Wolves are definitely better. And B, the underlying numbers for that match like weren't super flattering to United. That was more of like a 2-1-ish in the range of a 1-1 draw type of match um, that United ended up getting a 3-1 win out of. So I'm going to actually take the draw at plus 310. I, I think more than one out of three times, Wolves hang tight with United, force that game into a draw. Wolves are not great in attack, but they're also not too shabby defensively. And United's attack, even though they scored three goals today, still not super impressive. Um, I also still don't think that you can roll out a United attack of Mason Greenwood, Edison Cavani and Cristiano Ronaldo and consistently create chances because all those, all three of those guys are shoot first at question later type of players. Um, it sort of worked today against a really bad team, but against a better sturdier Wolves team, I don't really see that working out. Yeah. Well, let's hope they play the games and then we're all the w- real winners here. And by the way, if you are still listening to this podcast at a hard You're a hero. Uh, we are at, You're a hero. We're at an hour and 25 minutes and you don't pick a Premier League team. I have to know why. I have to know why you would listen to us talk about it all this time and then not make a selection. So, like, make your New Year's resolution to pick a team. Because all other New Year's resolutions suck. Like, what, you're going to go to the gym more? Go to the gym blows. Oh, you're going to take better care of yourself? Ah, you're fine. I think you look great right now. But getting into a Premier League team, that is the gift that you could give yourself for the rest of your life. So if you hear the sound of my voice at this moment, I will fully expect you to pick either a team that we cover this week or next week and join us. Join us in our love for the sport. Join us in our love for gambling and drinking in the morning. Join us for our love for all the things that frustrate us about our own team, like Chelsea at Everton, that you get a lot of in this podcast. It is an amazing journey. We want you to be on it. So as we head into 2022 and say goodbye to 2021, we want to thank everybody in the medical field for continuing to be heroes and advancing us through this global pandemic, whether that be people researching the vaccine or or people on the front line that are treating everyone and getting us through this. We know you'll continue to make next year better than the one before it, just like 2021 was a little bit better than 2020. And as that translates to us getting to watch a little bit more soccer, that's not all that important in the in the big scheme of things, but it sure makes us happy. So thank you for that as well. So until next week, where we will talk about the big six teams, we hope that you enjoy the games this weekend and think long and hard about the team and then pick Chelsea that you're going to support. <laughs> and my, my take is, don't do things that make Toby happy. Make him, oh, make him, make him miserable in 2022. <laughs> be, a, be a Brentford fan. Be different. <laughs> but Well, go, ha- go have a great New Year's Eve. That'll make me happy as well. Now, Brett, you can't disagree with that. That's true. And take care of y'all. Everybody stay safe out there.